last week, last week in Matthew 2, we had an account of the baptism of Jesus. And this week, we have from the fourth gospel, what follows on a day or so later, perhaps. The first growth of believers. That in 2,000 years leads to us having an understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done. People have gone out to try and make every corner of the world sing. Declare him. And crucial in that time in between. Crucial in the path that was ahead is the question found in verse 38. What do you want? What do you want? If instead of our uh, normal NIVs, you had one of those Bibles where the words of Jesus are printed in red, you'd quickly see that this is the first crimson text in John's Gospel. It's the first thing in John's gospel that we hear coming from the mouth of Jesus. What do you want? What a question. The gift of Jesus, the beloved son, is because God wants us each one of us in this fallen world, all of humanity, to know that we are known by him, known by name, and loved. What God wants is for us to experience a love that is beyond all description and to share it with others. What God wants is for us to come close, for us to turn from sin, to receive from forgiveness and to have eternity. God ultimately wants an end to sorrow and sickness, an end to conflict, an end to the life of strife that we experience. Jesus is the Father's way, a new heaven and earth will come about, reflecting what God wants, what God's will is. And here, knowing what the Father wants, the Son speaks, asking, what do you want? What do you want? And it's a simple question, isn't it? But it has many levels. There is the, what do I want right now? I, I'd come through without a glass of water. And I had to say to Carol, could you go and get us a glass of water? You know, my mouth was a bit dry. And I was like, oh, I wanted water. But 
but there's also the, the question of what do I want? What do I want to get out of life? What do I want to experience? What do I want to know? What do I want to share in? What do I want for my friends and for my family? What do I want for the world? I don't know how you even begin to answer that question. What do you want? Andrew and the person he was with, who remains nameless, but some suggest it may be John, the the gospel writer, simply ask, Rabbi, where are you staying? It's a strange response, isn't it? It doesn't really answer that question. What do you want? To come back with another question, where are you staying? There's no great theological request. No desire for refreshment in the physical sense. No reflecting on what we now know as Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, they don't ask for food or drink or shelter. They don't ask for health or security. They don't ask about belonging and relationship. They don't ask for any need at all to be met. They want to come into his presence, but their their question is not directly answering what Jesus asks, nor is it asking, can they be Jesus' disciples? Yet they receive an invitation to come and see. Come and see where I'm staying. Come and see where I'm going. Come and see. We might generally think of this as the disciples being called. They've chosen to follow. But really... None of these three disciples in the reading are called within the passage. Their calling as part of the twelve comes later. Matthew puts it by the banks of Galilee where they've spent the night fishing but not caught anything. Then a miracle catch and Jesus says he will make them fish for people. By contrast, what we have here is one person telling another person who Jesus is. And then one of those people that's heard telling another person, his brother, who Jesus is. But whether in that call narrative later in Matthew or here as the first people to follow, it is a key element of the story that the news has continually passed from one to another and another. And without the invitation to discover, we ourselves would not be here today, so many years later. But do we share? Do we say, come and see? Or for some reason are we too embarrassed and find it too awkward? 
If the good news is as wonderful as we believe it is, then why do we not tell others? Perhaps we don't tell because we know ourselves that we're not perfect. We don't want to be accused of being hypocrites or something other than what we are. But Jesus came because we are flawed people. People who struggle with life. God knows we can't resolve the issues that we have ourselves. Our only hope is in Jesus. And that hope is not just for us. It's for others too. The spreading of a message of hope began with John the Baptist saying, this is the Lamb of God. And he uses that phrase twice. And he's the only person to use that phrase. It's not in the Old Testament. It's not used by anybody else in the New. The first time he says it, it's in a longer form saying, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, implying that he takes away the sin for everyone. It doesn't matter who you are, what your background is in that first century context, whether you were Jew or Gentile. There'll be an opportunity there in the Lamb of God for your sin to be taken away. But in what way is that sin taken away? We as Christians, with the benefit of lots of scripture that we can read through, that we can hear preached, that we can sing songs about, know of the birth and life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And we understand that it is through the Christ's suffering on the cross through his passion, that we are redeemed, that a price is paid for our wrongdoing. Yet that image of the Messiah's purpose was not fully understood, even by his earliest followers, his closest followers, even by those in this passage three years later. It's not really understood by them until his rising from the grave. The accepted understanding of what the Messiah's method was going to be in the early first century was that he would come and lead the people in rebellion, that he would overthrow the oppressors. And this can be thought of as taking away injustice through getting rid of the sinful people. He was overcoming sin by overcoming those that were sinful. But that understanding failed to recognize that every one of us has an inherently sinful nature. Every one of us does wrong. It would seem when we see John the Baptist later from prison asking Jesus, are you the one? A passage in Matthew that we we looked at last November, 
that he had expected rebellion. And yet that title, Lamb of God, gives maybe a different message, maybe one that even as he spoke it, the Baptist didn't quite understand himself. It's a name for the Christ that others haven't used. And while Lamb might be understood as in Isaiah as that creature that lies down unharmed with the wolf when the kingdom comes in fullness. A vision of a place without fear but full of hope and peace. A lamb normally projects an image of weakness and frailty. And the idea of a different message than rebellion is enhanced further when we consider that although the English word lamb appears maybe 40 different times in the New Testament, there are actually different words in the Greek for lamb. And the one used here twice, amnos, only appears four times. And it has a very specific meaning of being a lamb. It's a sacrificial lamb, a creature that will be slain in offering. The course of what will happen is being declared by the Baptist, maybe even without him realizing. The person he is pointing to, the Lamb of God, is the sacrifice that will take away sin. He's the one whose blood will be shed for the forgiveness of sins. Andrew and the other disciple understand that the person they had been disciples of, John the Baptist, has throughout his ministry prepared the way and pointed to the person that is now before them. As true disciples, they pick up that mantle. They take their understanding forward and they choose to point to the one that their rabbi, John the Baptist, had pointed to. We have found the Messiah. Without a miracle having been seen without hearing really a word of teaching from the mouth of Jesus. Based only on the testimony of the Baptist and his vision of the dove that we thought of last week, they know who Jesus is. Perhaps they answer Jesus, what do you want, with such an unusual response because they had already found what they wanted. They had found what they needed. They had found the path to answer all of our need, all of our wants. They had found the Christ. 
perhaps we too already have a glimpse of what we want and what we need. Forgiveness and eternity. I imagine most of us have received that, but yet we still hunger, we still thirst. Because we do not see it yet in fullness, but we know it is there. We know it is coming. And we have that hope in our hearts because in the past others have said, perhaps many, many years ago, perhaps friends, perhaps family, maybe our parents, maybe our grandparents have said, come, come with me. Do you see and discover? The first evangelism was within established relationships. The Baptist to two of his disciples and those disciples to their brothers. But do we say it? Do we say, come and see to those who are close to us? Or are we afraid they will laugh in our face or that it will damage our friendship? Why do we have something so precious but not always share it? For others among you, though, perhaps you hear this story today and although you haven't previously decided to follow Jesus, you want a new beginning. You want that future hope. You want to come. You want to see. If that's you, then say to the Lord today that you yourself want to follow. that you want to have that for yourself and receive the hope that we all desire in the depth of our hearts. Come and see. I'm going to pray now. And if you want, as I say, um, when I'm doing school assemblies, different bits. Um, but I don't often say in charge. The word amen means I agree, right? I agree. If you want this prayer to be for you, whether you've prayed a prayer like this before in your life, whether you've prayed it for the first time, If you want it to be your prayer, when I say amen, you also say amen. I agree. That goes for my words. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done in my life. Please forgive me. I turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you, you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven. 
Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your Spirit to live within me. I receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.